I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. Welcome to the podcast. This is Michael Patton and Theology Unplugged coming to you from the Credo House in Edmond, Oklahoma. I am joined by uh, my colleagues, uh, my my friends, and my partners in crime here, all four of us, uh, back together. I don't think we had everybody last time, did we? Uh, we did. We did. Yeah, yeah. We just haven't done it in a while. That's right. That's right. We were trying to figure out when Sam was actually going to be in the United States yeah. and uh, when JJ was going to be around. So thankfully, it's a uh, holiday time, but we're all here. All right. Everybody doing all right? Doing great. Holiday time? Doing well. Christmas guys, time. Let's be a little bit more specific. You guys like the Christmas time season? I love it. Yeah. I love it. I do, yeah. I do. It's yeah. a, it's a time of testing your faith. You know, you're spending time with family, so there's lots of opportunities for sanctification. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, and interesting. You know, the holidays. It, it is interesting. You know, it makes me always wonder. Like, were the feast seasons during the Old Testament time like for us? The holidays are like really good and really bad at the same time. It seems yeah. like you know, it's like a lot of heartache and a lot of great things too. You know, it's just a it's an interesting time of the year. It seems like it's a concentrated time of the year. Well, I remember Swindoll used to say during this time of year um that this is the time where there's the most depression, the most suicides, the most problems as well because uh, a lot of expectation to be happy and a lot of realization sometimes of people who have unmet expectations. Yeah, and if hey, if you're listening to this right now and that's you, Man, we're just, we're there too. We feel you and uh, we're sorry. Uh, But then also, I mean, we have to really remind ourselves that uh, this is really what should drive us to our Savior. You know, in this world we'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome. I mean, realities such as that are times where say, man, the holidays really drive me to my knees. Oh, well, wait a second. That's uh, also why I'm glad that there is a child in the manger that is my Savior, who's also my Creator. You know, with that much spirituality, I just now realized we didn't even pray before we started this podcast. Okay. Uh, How about that? Yeah. May the Lord bless this podcast, guys, right? Amen. 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 Let it be. All right, well, we're going to continue our series on Roman Catholicism and uh, understanding Roman Catholicism in comparison to our own tradition. Each one of us here is a Protestant, I would say. Probably each one of us would identify ourselves as evangelical Protestant, which I guess, uh, what, what do we describe that as? What's your short definition whenever people say, what is an evangelical Protestant, Sam? Oh my goodness! He did short, short definition. Like Come short on. definition. Yeah. Ten seconds. We're on an elevator. We're on floor three. Okay, We're the going short to definition is somebody who embraces the solas of the Reformation. I would mm. suppose be the easiest way to put it. You probably include in that, or at least I would, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That's one of the solas, That's right? Right. Sola fide. Would you say you can be an evangelical and reject that? Uh, no. Last time we talked about. Um, well, so in other words. There's no such thing. Are you saying there's no such thing as an evangelical Roman Catholic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, and I'm not so sure I'm ready to say that. Yeah, but, that, that might be a future future broadcast. But we would be using evangelical in a very different sense at that point. That's true. Here's an interesting thing, though. Uh, you know, in part of this, R.C. Sproul has written a fair amount about this, and and he makes the point that uh, when we use the word Protestant, that we are we're legitimately protesting something, mm-hmm. and uh, he makes the case that it is the issue of justification that we are most protesting. Mm. 
And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Last time we talked about the issue of authority. And I think we did all agree and say that the issue of authority, you, you probably can't be an evangelical and believe in the authority of the Pope, right? I mean, the dual authority of, of the church, uh, magisterial authority of the church, and the scripture. That's one of the founding hallmarks of being a Protestant as well, is True. we have rejected or accepted, let's say, that instead of a negative, we have accepted the, the final authority of the scriptures, right? Right. I mean, uh, I enjoy reading books that the Pope writes. I enjoy reading some of Ratz, Ratzinger's work, or mm. Benedict, I should call him. But I read him in the same way that I read any other theologian, living or dead, and that is critically in light of what Scripture says. I read uh, Martin Luther's letter to Pope Leo last night for the first time. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if he uh, enjoyed reading Leo too much. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, today we're going to be talking about justification by faith alone, and I think we'd all agree as well that justification, the issue of justification, um, is as... Uh, Martin Luther would put it, the issue upon which Christianity stands or falls. Would, would we agree with that? I mean, is, is that good? Are we good? Well, I think in the sense of if we're talking about how do we as sinners find freedom for our condition and how do we find salvation for our souls, uh, you know, that really defines what Christianity is about. You know, we aren't just about the donuts and the coffee. We are ultimately about how do we attain salvation for our souls uh, and the ramifications of that, and so which I, is at the heart of this discussion. At least we would say it, Protestantism stands or falls by the issue of justification, right? Good? I would agree. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about that, and let's re revisit that question. Remind me at some point, because I do want to revisit that statement, because Martin Luther and John Calvin both made very similar statements. John Calvin, the hinge upon which Christianity hangs is the doctrine of justification. And so the the Reformers, um, in talking about this idea of justification, sola uh, fide, justification by faith alone, really put this up on front center stage at the Reformation. Justification. Okay. A lot of people, whenever they're listening to this right now, they're they're just equating that in general. What does justification mean? Does that just mean all of salvation? What is particular about justification when we talk about it from a from the standpoint first of a Protestant defined justification? I think my fat, quickest declar or uh, definition would be. Make a declaration. That's okay. Uh, would be yeah. Would be declared righteous. Hmm. That upon putting your faith in Christ, you are declared righteous. Why? Why? Why is that significant? What does it mean to be declared yeah. righteous, and and why do we need that? Uh, well, as opposed to being made righteous, mm -hmm. would be would be the difference. And so it, we are not saying this is a sanctification. This is a process of of becoming righteous. But instead, it is on the day of your. Uh, bowing your life before Christ, that God declares you righteous based on the works of Christ. And it is not based on your works. Who cares if we're righteous? What is righteous? What, why care, do we need to I, be righteous? Why can't we, because you're why not, can't we just be because bad? Because you, of all people, are not a righteous man. That is <laughs> what you, I'm going to say. <laughs> I like what you're driving at, Michael. It's, it's what we often talk about the gospel as bad news before it's good news. You know, So we don't understand the good news unless we know the bad news, that humanity is under the wrath of God. So what are we gonna what are we gonna do about that problem? What solution has God provided? Why is God mad? 
Why is there wrath? It just got awfully silent in here. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's push this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why do we have to be... Why can't... Uh, uh, we start with the wrath of God, but he, here's the issue between Roman Catholics and Protestants. It's not an issue of whether or not we have to be righteous, right? That's right. Everybody needs to be righteous before we stand before God. Is that correct? Yes. Everybody needs to be made clean. Everybody, we, we are, we cannot stand before a holy God in any uh, filth or any of our sin. We have to be made perfectly clean. And what we're trying to ask is, how is it that we are righteous? Why? How are we justified? How are we made clean before God? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate question. So, if the ultimate question is, we got a wrathful God. Uh, JJ, and we need to be made righteous before that wrathful God. What is the process? What is the path? And what is the path that Protestants take uh, to being made righteous? How do we? How are we made righteous? There is a debt to be paid, and God Himself paid it. What do we do? We trust. We believe. It's, it starts in Genesis 15, right? You know, Abraham trusted and believed, and it was counted to him. Uh, it was counted to him as righteousness. And, and Paul, again, talks about righteousness being reckoned as we believe. And you can see Paul taking great pains to explain that it's not infused into us, to use the $10 theological word, but it's imputed to us. It's reckoned to us or counted to our account on the basis of Jesus's performance in our place. Let, let, let me cut to the chase, all right, um, if I may. Are you saying that permission? my are you saying that my process and my well, did, little, my didactic abilities you're, you're right here are meandering not, here yeah, at the you're, beginning? You're dancing, man. There's a little meandering. Let's let's just cut step. to the chase. I just represent the audience. All right, <laughs> I'm going to use three words that might sound a little strange to our listeners' ears, but it's important they understand them. That differentiate the Protestant view of justification and the answer to your question from that of Roman Catholicism, and the words are alien. Got that one? Got it. Not talking about UFOs, but alien, imputed, and forensic. Now, let me explain what those means, what that means. When we talk about the righteousness that God requires of us, if we are going to be reconciled to him and stand in his presence, accepted and beloved forever, the righteousness that will avail for us is alien in the sense that it is it is not ours. It's not a righteousness I have produced. It's not a righteousness that I have uh, generated by my own will. It is other than me. It is alien to me. It is the righteousness of Christ. That's what we mean by, we don't, we don't mean that it's otherworldly. We mean that it is Christ's righteousness, not mine. I am justified in the presence of God, not on account of my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. So it's, if, if you want to get use a word other than alien, you can, but that's the word that uh, it's typically been used. Um, secondly, it is imputed. So rather than imparted. So as Tim mentioned a moment ago, it is reckoned unto my account. It is uh, declared. It's not describing my um, my experience is talking about my status or my position. So the alien righteousness of Christ is reckoned unto me. And if, if it helps people uh, to visualize this in their thinking, just imagine a ledger book and there's two columns. One side says debts, the other side says credits. 
And on the debt side are all of the transgressions of a person's life that are just amassed. And on the credit side, it's blank. And in justification, there is both forgiveness of sins such that the debt side is wiped clean. And on the credit side, it says Jesus Christ. It doesn't list on the credit side all my good deeds, the fact that I was nice to my wife today or that I didn't yell at her. Uh, But on the credit side, it simply says Jesus Christ. And in the sense that his righteousness is reckoned to my account. Imagine the ledger book is my account. It's my life. Now there are no longer any debts in God's sight because I've been forgiven of those sins. But there's one credit, and it is Christ. And that comes to the third word, which is forensic. It means legal. Uh, Justification is a legal declaration that God has reckoned or imputed the righteousness of Christ unto me. So it's legal in the sense that it's not something that's going on inside of me. There's not the justification is not the inner transformation of my soul and spirit so that I now love Jesus where before I may have hated him or I love my wife where before I may have mistreated her. So it's alien. It's a righteousness outside of me. It is Christ's. It is imputed or reckoned to me, and it is forensic or legal in nature. It concerns my status, not my experience. Now, we'll get into this, but it certainly does affect my experience. It's going to be the foundation for my experience and my inner transformation. But that in and of itself is not justification. Justification is God's declaration legally, forensically, that the righteousness of his son has been imputed to the, to the, the, the account of a sinner, which we receive simply by faith alone. And theologically, we'd refer that as a double imputation of righteousness, that both columns are full of the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf. Right. And, and of course, the, the left column, all the debts, all the sins have been imputed unto Christ. Mm-hmm. And it was under the guilt of that, of that unrighteousness that he suffered. And that's what warranted the wrath of God being poured out upon him. Well, I, I like this bank account and ledger term. You know, we got, uh, we got ledgers that we have written up for each person and, and we're born with a debt. That debt is transferred. That debt, we're born with a debt that has been imputed to us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Adam's debt has been imputed to us, or his his unrighteousness has been imputed to us. Is that correct? Yes. That's first imputation. The guilt of his transgression was imputed to us. And then, of course... Before, the, before we did anything, right? Before we acted. We don't have to act first before it's imputed. Is that correct? That's right. It's like your bank account on the opening day before you've even signed the papers to receive it. You're already massively in debt, and we're born with a spending habit and we spend too much. We're not yeah. just thieves because we steal, but we steal because we were born thieves. Yeah. yeah. First imputation, we didn't have anything to do with. That's correct, right? Correct. Okay, Roman Catholics agree with that, right? They do. The first imputation, we are just born with it. That's what baptism's for, right? Well, in the Roman Catholic system, it is. Okay. The water of baptism, uh, in their view, washes away the guilt of Adam's transgression that had been imputed to us. Is that also called forensic, or is that actual? Uh, It's both Hmm. in their system. So uh, in our system, we do have a legal declaration that we have been born guilty in and with Adam. Yes. Okay. Uh, Then first imputation, Adam's sin imputed to us. Second imputation, our sin imputed to Christ. Yes. Third imputation, Christ's righteousness being imputed to us, right? Yes. Got them all? Yep. And it's important, again, this word impute, that may be foreign to some of our listeners. 
it's contrasted with impart. Um, in other words, if something is imparted to me, it comes inside me. It becomes very personal and experiential. It's part of my very being, the fiber of my soul. Um, for example, the, uh, the indwelling presence of the Spirit in all of us right now has been imparted to us. He is in us. The righteousness by which we stand accepted in the sight of God is imputed to us. It's on the basis of this legal reckoning that we are accepted through faith alone. Now, again, we don't want to suggest that this has no effect on what happens inside us. It has the most massive and unimaginable effect, but that gets us into the relationship between justification and sanctification. And I love what Packer says. He says this isn't a legal fiction. In other words, God doesn't just decide to think about us as justified. We are actually justified because something actually happened at the cross. (laughs) Yeah, that righteousness really, literally, legally, actually has been imputed and reckoned to my account. And the pastoral application, the ledger is so helpful because uh, as we look at, at shepherding our own souls, preaching to our own souls, and as we encourage other brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that our tendency every morning when we wake up is to go back to the ledger and, and, and rehearse the negative column and desperately try to think of things we can fill into the positive column and then see how it weighs, and then we'll decide on the basis of that what mood God is in or how he feels about us that day or if, that, if the, our car breaking down that day means something significant in light of that ledger. You know, our hearts are legalistic by definition. They veer that way. So until we get that pounded into our skull— we're going to be surprised that people keep forgetting the gospel and need to be continually reminded that our sins, as 1 Peter 2.24 says, are in his body on the tree. We forget that, so we have to keep being reminded of what actually is happening in that ledger. The ledger isn't a place where we try to balance out the scales. The ledger is a place yeah. where we're reminded. Yeah, let me just—that's yeah, a very good point, because a lot most Christians, I think, as you say, J.J., default to the mindset that they envision their life as this ledger book. Okay, on the left side are all my debts— and I've got to work really hard to erase them. I've got to do good deeds so God will start pushing delete on all these sins, or I've got to somehow atone for them. And then I've got to work equally hard so that I can amass on the credit side all my good works and make a, a shift, as it were, from uh, from the cleaning off the debit side and filling up the credit side. And that is utterly contrary to Scripture. Well, and when you read passages like, you know, take my yoke and you'll have rest for your soul, mm-hmm. you wonder... I'm not feeling that because you're looking at the ledger. Yeah. The credit side, like I said, we have to remember it has one line. It says, Jesus Christ. He is our credit. He is the ground of our standing and acceptance. His righteousness imputed to us that we receive by faith. Well, and and oftentimes when I'm having this conversation with someone, one of their first responses is, how do I know if I'm living that way? And they begin to overanalyze it, and it's paralysis by analysis, a really simple uh, thing to do with yourself or with another person is to, is simply to say, close your eyes and imagine God, the look on God's face as he thinks about you and what look is on his face. Is it disappointment? Is it impatience? Is it frustration? Well, then that means that you have forgotten First Peter 2.24, that your sins are in his body on the tree. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees his son. Um, so we take ourselves in hand and we preach to our souls uh, when we begin to believe that he's mad at us. Yeah. Uh, we forget that his wrath was poured out at the cross. Uh, Jared Wilson, he has a great new book called Gospel Deeps, and uh, in there he's got a great quote of just uh, the, God, the God-centeredness of our freedom. He says, we are saved by God, from God, through God, to God, for God. 
The idea of our salvation is the Father, the work of our salvation is the Son's, the dispensing of our salvation is the Spirit's, so that in all things God will get the glory. That's good. Justification, if I was looking at this from Microsoft Word, you've got our sins, right-clicked, select all, backspace. Okay? You go over to Jesus, you got his righteousness, right-clicked, select all, copy, go over to your ledger, paste, right? But here's the deal. You don't do that. He does that. On your behalf, though, too. So you're not feeling so technical. Bro, no, man. Hey, dude, I'm a computer programmer. We need to be very (laughs) precise in our language. JJ has no idea what you're talking about because he's a Mac man. He doesn't have a right 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 click. click. Which which says, can Mac people be saved? That's another question. question. It's called control (laughs) click. It does the same thing. (laughs) Okay, okay. Now, let me briefly give you maybe the one minute... Uh, summary of the Roman Catholic alternative. Okay, and let's talk about this. Roman Catholics do not believe in forensic justification. They do not believe in the imputation of Christ's righteousness, but they go through a process that is, you think ours was uh, complicated. Let, let me try to boil this down Since a little bit. Since we spent 20 minutes describing yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, from the Roman Catholic standpoint, if I was to present that to them, they would respond and say, well, here, here's our understanding of justification. Justification is not an event... It is not a declaration, uh, imputation, forensic legal declaration. It is uh, a process in which you become prepared to enter into the presence of God. Your ledger has to be made such through the grace of God. They would use this language. Through the grace of God, your ledger has to become prepared such so that you are uh, disposed as you enter into heaven as being clean. Now, God is working in and with you through his grace. First thing you do, baptism. Baptism removes that first imputation of Adam's guilt. You are now in a state of grace is what they would call it. Not necessarily in a state of justification, but in a state of being justified. In that state of grace... Your life is filled with all kinds of ways to grab a hold more of the merits of Christ, the merits of the saints, or or the grace of God through these merits in order to be made more and more Christ-like throughout your life. That involves confirmation, involves going to Mass, taking the Eucharist. It involves um, uh, doing things such as... uh, uh, having um, uh, works of super irrigation. That's if you are in a justified state and you do works that are greater than that, maybe taking vows of poverty, maybe um, uh, staying unmarried, that type of stuff, but all kinds of things that are going into your life in order to make that ledger um, still Christ, because you're still, you're, you're not, it's not my ledger, it's, it's grabbing hold of Christ, but it's a process Make sure you don't, throughout life, commit any mortal sins which would remove the grace of God from your soul and put you in uh, a state of non-grace, mortal sins being murder, being uh, adultery, something really bad. But throughout your life, making sure that your venial sins are taken care of as well. Venial sins being the smaller sins that you do, and to take care of those, you... um, uh, give an indulgence, not money, but, uh, you know, you, you do something. Uh, venial sins uh, eventually all being taken care of in purgatory, where you're finally purged of the rest of the unrighteousness. You got all kinds of dirt. Your hair's messed up. You're, you, you've got dirt under your fingernails. You're, you're forgiven. Here's the idea. 
you've come, you, you've done something wrong. You, you say, mom, dad, I'm sorry. I broke the window and, um, I'll, I'll, I'm, uh, will you forgive me? And they say, yes, I'll forgive you, but you're going to have to pay for that. Okay. So the rest of your life, you're paying for it. So the whole idea is you can be in a state of forgiveness with God, but not in a state of righteousness with God. One side of the ledger can be wiped clean in a sense, but the other side is not filled up with the works that are necessary to stand before God. So you come before final at death. How close are you? Some people are closer than others, but you finally enter into the state called purgatory or where you get the dirt out from under your fingernails. You're, you're being cleaned behind the ears, all the things you did not do here on the earth to be in that state, ready to stand before a righteous God are finally taken care of. Then you are finally and completely justified. Is that good? I hope our listeners are tracking with the great instability and psychological vulnerability that this view of relating to God produces in people. Um, The Council of Trent declared, quote, if one considers his own weakness and his defective disposition, he may well be fearful and anxious as to the state of grace, as nobody knows with the certainty of faith, which permits of no error that he's achieved the grace of God. Mm. So you're flying blind all the time. You're never really quite sure what God thinks about you. Mm. Well, that's, that's at the heart of the Roman Catholic system of salvation is that um, you're always uh, behind in your payments, hmm. and you can never have your debt fully discharged. And the, the whole sacramental system is a way in which you can consist, continually throughout life make those payments necessary to attain this status with God. Um, no, I think, I think you summarized it well. Um, this may sound a little strange, but maybe it can help us summarize the idea here. Um, I, the, the the fundamental distinction between the Roman Catholic and the Protestant views of justification concerns, if I can put it in, in kind of spatial terminology here, concerns the location of righteousness, the location of it. Is the righteousness by which you are justified inside you or outside you? Is it internal to the human soul or external to the human soul? The Roman Catholic says it's inside us. It's internal to the human soul. It is our personal righteousness. It's the, it's the actions of our will in obeying God. It's the conformity of our thinking and of our dispositions uh, to what God requires. Protestant says, no, the righteousness by which we are accepted is external to us. It is outside of us because it's the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own personal experiential uh, transformation. It is the objective accomplishment in his life, death, and resurrection of who Jesus is that God says, I reckon and regard by an act of my grace that this now is yours. And so, Think in terms of the location of righteousness. Now, again, they're always, you use that kind of language, there are always breakdowns and people get confused. But again, when you think of you standing in the presence of God and you ask yourself, um, here is, I'm standing in the presence of an infinitely righteous God and a righteousness that he requires of me in order to be reconciled, where is it? Is it inside me? Is it the result of the transformation through life of my own soul, spirit, affections, heart, and mind? Or is it a righteousness that is external to me, alien to me, outside of me, that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which has been reckoned unto me through simple faith and faith alone? 
And I mean, we are right at the heart of the Reformation, and and more more accurately at the heart of Martin Luther's struggle of his life was that he said, if if righteousness could be found in being a good monk, I would be the first in line. But I had no freedom for my soul, and I was when I realized that that the righteousness was not how many floors can I scrub with a toothbrush, but instead when I found that it was the the work of Jesus put on me through simple faith that uh, changed everything and truly gave me freedom. Yeah. It's looking outward for a righteousness that saves, not inward. Yeah. And again, if we can just drive this home in terms of the practicalities of people listening to this, and uh, as we, you know, we're sitting here in Edmond, Oklahoma, and we know the mindset of Americans living in this part of the world. And in their mindset, going back to the ledger analogy, their hope for eternity is built on this assumption that in the final analysis, when I draw my last breath, I'm going to have at least a couple more entries on the credit side that I have produced than debit, uh, than sins on the debit side. And so it again is this, this constant attempt to balance my books such that at the end of life, I've produced a few more good works than I did bad works. And hopefully... Uh, the ledger book will balance in my favor instead of understanding that my confidence is that on the debit side, it has been completely wiped clean. In God's sight, there simply are none. Why? Because he laid them on his son and he suffered on my behalf. And on the credit side, it's not a single work that I have performed, but the name Jesus Christ. If people can get that idea in their minds, we'd be a long way toward the gospel being clear. But again, we live in a culture, especially here in this part of the world, in which people are thinking in terms of, I just I just got to get a few more entries on the credit side so that when God looks at it, he says, well, yeah, you got a lot on the debit side, but ha, you know, you're 51% credit and only 49% debit come into my kingdom. Hmm. And yeah. that, unfortunately, is the image and the concept of Christianity that so many people today have. And that's what we need to, to wage war against. Well, one of the things, and I know we're out of time, and I know we've uh, JJ's over here, and he's got all these scriptures that he's he's ready to throw out and talk about, and I think we do need to talk about scriptures on on each side, and so we'll save that for the next podcast. But I like this idea that we've emphasized of this ledger and both sides of the ledger, because I think that people need to leave here understanding that there are two sides, and we deal with both sides very differently. And from, when we talked about you know the cut and paste of Christ's righteousness, but from the Roman Catholic standpoint, basically. Uh, see if this is accurate to leave with, is that you have this initial act by which God wipes clean the debit side, but the credit side is in process. And and, and in a sense, because I know that they would really, to represent them fairly, they would want to say, no, whatever we do is the merits of Christ. It is through his grace that we're able to fill up that left side. But here, here's the idea. Let's let's take Christ's righteousness and his grace. We're spent the whole life typing that out. And we're hoping that in the end it will be filled to the brim with the righteousness of Christ. But it's not a cut and paste system. It's not a forensic declaration, but a process to where that left side, we are in a hurry to get filled up. At any point, we can commit a mortal sin and have the right side filled back up with that mortal sin and send us to hell. Right side has to be blank for everybody. Both sides say blank, no sins on your on your account in order to stand before God. 
we say Christ wiped that clean and put his righteousness upon us. They yeah. say this this side's up in the air. I mean, you can you can go your whole life, your entire life, uh, filling up that that left side with all your good works, going to mass, doing the right things, and, and have this le- uh, right side completely clean, never having committed a mortal sin that reinstitutes the the fallenness that you had at the beginning. Um, you can go your whole life living that and then fail day 99 and miss mass. We'll talk about this maybe last next time. Miss mass without a valid excuse. You sleep in and you say, God, you know, I'm, my sin nature took over this morning and you die of a heart attack that day. You're in hell. Yeah. Right. Well, the Protestant it, view of the yeah. ledger to sum it up in a sentence is act what you are. So our position is established and it's in light of our position in Christ that Paul implores us. Why, why would you act any differently than in accordance with your position, your positional righteousness in Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's it's how we view what's happening on the cross in the payment of our sin too, because I think I think both Protestants and but if we speak Roman Catholic, it's like after you baptize and first uh, Eucharist, taking the first Eucharist, things like that, that you know your past sins are covered basically, right? And then you you keep coming back to then keep paying for those sins since the last time, since the last time, since the last time to make sure that you keep that ledger, you know. But I think what Protestants, what, what needs to be reminded is that we think that too many times. We can default to that, that, oh, you know, when I became a believer, all of my past sins were covered, but now I still sin, and how do I, man, now I have to find the way, and what we have to realize is that on the cross 2,000 years ago, all of our sins were future. And so when he paid for our sins and when they were on the cross, they were all of our future sins, not just the sins before we became a believer, but all of our sins were covered so that, you know, it never, our sins never fall back on our ledger. The growth, growth as a Christian is not moving past the gospel, but moving deeper into the gospel. It's exactly. been well said. Yeah. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. I like that word, is reckoned. That's what we're talking about here is the reckoning of the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account. How is that uh, happen? How does that happen? How is it reckoned? The issue of justification could not be more important. It's not a side issue. It's not kind of this little fun thing that we thought, hey, let's talk about justification. It's never talked about, and it's not a big deal. So let's have some lighthearted discussion. This is not a lighthearted discussion. This is a very deep discussion. Uh, maybe the uh, hinge upon which Christianity stands or falls. Thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for uh, coming in here to the Credo House. Uh, Faith and, and uh, joining us for these podcasts. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to discuss with you guys such an important thing uh, that is so central to the gospel. We'll see you next time. 